2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 6 is our focus. And we are looking at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 4 to look at the privilege. We will read the word of the Lord and then pray. Chapter 3, 2 Corinthians, verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have, we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Not walking in craftiness, we're adulterating the word of God, but in the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Light shall shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of glory of God in the face of Christ. We are looking at this, looking into the face of Jesus. Verse 18 of chapter 3 says, we are beholding in a mirror. And then verse 6 says, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Okay, we are seeing that light shine. We have been looking at this and we have seen that this new covenant, this ministry that you and I who are saved, because it says there in verse 18, but we all. It doesn't limit it. It's anyone who has had the veil removed is part of this ministry. We all. And we look into the face of Jesus Christ reflected in the mirror. And the mirror is the word of the Lord. The Bible. And then the more I look into that, the more I understand that it is a clear look. It is a look that is very... There's nothing hidden in it. There's no veiling in it. There's no mystery or shadows or, 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 or secret depths to it. It is straightforward. The person of Christ, look, behold. It is clear. And as I am looking in the clarity of the glory of God... In Christ. Okay, what I'm trying to say, when I see, you see the word glory, you're looking at the nature and the attributes of God in the person of Christ. As I look at this and I continue to look at this, I, it will transform you. I made a statement last night in last night's message. You will look like that that you worship. Okay? Very easy to see. Whatever is the priority in your life is obvious to people who are around you. Okay? Even strangers can look at it and say, well, look. All right? When you look at the face of Jesus, what will you be transformed into? Christ. You will begin manifesting the attributes and nature, you will begin manifesting the glory of God because your longing to worship will be focused on the person of Christ who is God incarnate. But as I look at it, verse 1 says, I understand how much mercy was and I will not lose heart. 
See, the more you spend looking at Jesus, the greater his grace becomes. It's not that the grace grows as you're there. It becomes more apparent as you are there. The more I look into the holiness of Jesus Christ, the more I realize the grace and mercy that saved me. And then, and in this context, not only does he save me, he uses me as a minister. Please understand the word minister has nothing to do with the guy that's behind the pulpit. A minister is a child of God, a servant of God. You see it there that we are bond servants. We are bond servants for Jesus' sake. So it strengthened me that I do not grow cowardice. All right? Verse 1 again, I do not lose heart. And it means be moved to cowardice. But it also purifies. First part of verse 2, we renounce the hidden things because of shame. All right. As I look at Jesus Christ, the things that are within me that would shame Christ or even shame myself or shame my testimony. As I look at Christ, it becomes more and more clear. All right. And then I back up and I say, well, look at the mercy that he's given me. How can I not renounce it? Renounce right there is the same root word that you run into that speaks of repentance. All right. I move away from it. It is not that interesting to me. I remember some one, years ago, a, a pastor that I know was talking to a dear friend of his, a businessman, very affluent, had never married, uh, could pretty much date any woman that he wanted. And, and he keeps, he, he looked at John and he said, John, I, I don't want to give up all the stuff of the world for your Jesus. And, and John, with his quick response was, you don't. What? It's just like God changes the price tags. The things that you used to think were important ain't so much anymore. Okay? And I thought, you know, that's really how it works because we will renounce these things. And, 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 it, and renounce it doesn't say, I'm standing up and I'm going to confess all of my sins. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit as you look at the person of Jesus Christ in holy writ. As you look at him, the Holy Spirit convicts you that that's not right and you move away from it. It ain't that complicated. People talk about me and my motorcycle and they say, well, do they master you? You want to buy it? I do not own a motorcycle that is not for sale. All right? I mean... I. I don't own anything. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Whatever. But I, I want you people to understand that because we see people who will grab a hold of things in this life and, well, I'm holding on to it loosely. Then why are your knuckles white? All right. And it, it's not that we go through life. Well, I'm just not going to have nothing. That's not what it says. But if it becomes your master, get rid of it. Okay. So it's a look that purifies. But in the second part of that text, you see that there is a love for truth. A love for truth. Not walking in craftiness, adulterating the word of God, but in a manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We walk in truth. Okay, not in craftiness. Craftiness means that I'm going to do whatever it takes to get my thing done. Whatever my goal is. Okay. 
That's craftiness. Adulterating the word is perverting it. Let me change it. Okay? Let me tell you what you want to hear in my craftiness. Craftiness here is the same one you see in 2 Corinthians 11 where women, Eve was deceived by the craftiness of the devil. All right? And he does that by adulterating the word. Always has, always will. I know pastors right now, I know some people who are living their lives as lost people in the adulterating work of the Word of God. They're validating what they're saying by the Word of God. Okay? The problem is they don't look at the rest of it. And it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. But then last week we started looking at verses 3 and 4. As I look at the face of Jesus, do I understand that it is a privilege to be able to see the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I understand that it is a privilege? Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. In love of truth, there will be no manipulating and there will be no other passions. Okay, if there are other passions and there is no love of truth, then at best they are not very close to Christ. At best. At worst, they have deceived themselves thinking that they are Christians and they are not. Do you know that in church, not everyone has the veil removed? Did you know that? Jesus said the kingdom will be like this. The wheat and the tares. We're told you will know them by their fruit. What do they bear? What do they look like? I made a point last night in my message that uh, anybody here know lost people? Nobody. Wow, you guys are truly blessed. Karen does. Okay. But then I get challenged on challenging a person's salvation. How can you know my heart? Well, how do you know your friends are lost? Okay. I mean, everybody can jump on me and say, well, I just can't believe you can judge your heart. Well, then how do you know your friends are lost? Same way I know when I challenge a person's salvation. You sure look lost. You act lost. You talk lost. But other than that, you must be saved. You walk like a duck. It quacks like a duck. It swims like a duck. It must be a giraffe. it's, It's amazing to me how... But again... That goes back to the truth thing. You bring the truth to bear on somebody, you start messing with their conscience. And if you bring truth on, you've been in church X number of months or years or whatever, but you still look lost, their conscience is going to be really upset with you. Well, I can't believe you would judge me. I've been in church for two years. Well, it's like I stood in the garage for two years, therefore I'm a car. That ain't working. In the church, 
Not everyone has the veil removed because there is a narrow gate to the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says there are few who find it. You know what that means, right? A bunch of them are looking. But there are few who find it. What you will find is is that this plethora of people looking for the gate will get into those who are selling and trying to get you to buy the gospel. Let me make it easy for you. Let me make you comfortable with this. Let me entertain you. Let me make it about you. And when you go down that road, when you start marketing a gospel that plays to the depravity of man, you will have a mega church. Because man likes that. Truth exposes the resistance. And only God removes the veil. See, when you bring truth to bear to the perishing, it says, it's foolishness. Well, that's silly. That's silly. When I I read this text, let's, let's look at three and four. And even if our gospel is veiled, okay, remember, gospel, new covenant, same thing. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Okay? I watch the evangelical church today in Castle Rock. I watch the church that was in Corinth. And there are so many similarities there that it is a little bit unnerving. Okay? Why do I say that? The mainstay in the church in Kassarok today as the main attack against the Apostle Paul in Corinth is the same. Okay? They believe to get people saved is based on the method. You have to be sensitive to your audience. Right? This is propagated, this is taught, and it crosses every denominational line. Why would a guy all of a sudden decide, I'm going to start wearing Hawaiian shirts and flip-flops to preach in? Can you give me a biblical precedence? Well, yeah, that'll do it. Oh, I knew that the Hawaiian shirt would remove the veil. Really? But it is based on the method today. And they say, if you're not successful in your numbers, then you need to be more aware of your audience. And that's why when you look at a lot of new church plants, they come in months, maybe a year ahead of time, and they do a demographic study. What is the income base in the community that you're starting your church? What is their societal position? Are they bachelors? Graduates, do they have master's degrees? What kind of work are they doing? And then you tailor your worship, you tailor your message to that demographic group. Let me tell you something. 
It has nothing to do with a method. Oh, did I tell you? It has nothing to do with the messenger. It doesn't even have anything to do with the message. You know what the problem is? The hearer. The hearer. Okay? They're veiled. If they're veiled, then guess what? Nobody's listening. I don't care how clever you are. The perishing is their problem. It ain't my problem. It isn't the message problem. It's not the body of Christ problem. They're veiled. They can't see it. And I, and I hear, you know, I had a guy on uh, two weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I guess it was. He says, well, Terry, you need to understand something. Preaching has become antique. I thought you had to be 100 years old to be antique. That's how I always grew up. If it ain't 100 years old, you can't, it can't be an antique. Is that, am I wrong there? Somebody told me that. I come from back east. Everything back there is over 100 years old. So, hey, what do I know? Okay, my mom, I used to have some steel traps and she painted them all antique blue and she said, well, those are antiques. No, I just bought them down at the hardware store and you ruined them. <laughs> anyway. If you look at the book of Acts, you will see that many were rejecting the message. They rejected it whether it was Peter. I mean, they like to say, well, you know, Peter at Pentecost, he came out and 3,000 people got saved. Just boom, like that. He went out and preached the second time, 5,000 people got saved. It's amazing. Yeah, but Peter had 11 other apostles who had walked with Jesus and had been witness to the resurrection to help minister to a mob. <laughs> okay. If God brought you and I 3,000 souls today, I'd quit. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't get me wrong, but I'm saying you got to be out of your minds. But if you look at the text, uh, there were riots where... Paul was. Um, they wanted him dead. So was it the messenger or the message? Neither. It was the hearer. Let me give you a text. And I want you to think about this for a while. Because we've read this many times, uh, perhaps. And, and I just want you to think about this for a second. It is the parable of the four soils. Okay. Dude, I have heard so much preached on this that it's just almost scary. I heard only one in four are saved. And you're like, what? <laughs> you kind of missed what this text is talking about. <clears throat> four soils. Jesus had a large crowd gathered around him. Verse 2 of 13 of Matthew. He got into a boat and he sat down and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds fell on the road beside the road, and the birds came by and ate them up. Others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprung up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched because they had no root, and they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up, choked them out. Others fell on good soil and yielded a crop, 
hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Okay? I want you to think about this for a second. Okay, because there's there's some interesting things in this text that I think a lot of people forget. Okay, how many sowers are there? One. And the one doesn't really present a lot of skill, does it? How many different kinds of seeds are there? One. One. So when I look through this parable, it has nothing to do with the skill of the sower. Or is he aware of his audience, his demographics? He's too educated for these agricultural people? Or he's too agricultural for these educated people? Doesn't say that. He's sowing a seed. You know what? And it has nothing to do with the seed. It's obvious that it's good because the birds eat it. Okay? The soil is purely a part of the sovereignty of God. And too many times we think it's our responsibility to deal with it. Today, most people in the church believe there's one soil. And you have to figure out how to make that one soil respond. And that is not what this text teaches. Today's experts, and that's what they are. That's, they have seminars and books and committees and councils and conferences. And uh, I get hit probably weekly on a tele conferencing thing where you can get on your computer and they will we'll show you how to okay believe that there are many seeds and many sowers and it has to be the style and the technique and the method of the sower and depending on what seed he is sowing then that is what soil he needs to be around you need to take your style and you need to match it to your demographic study you don't want somebody that's uneducated trying to teach educated people Okay, you don't want somebody overeducated trying to teach uneducated people. And you will hear people even make the comment, the sower's methods weren't right for that kind of soil. That's you go look at the church growth movement today, and that's what it is based on. And that crosses, I don't care whether you're Presbyterian, I don't care whether you're Baptist, Methodist, I don't care what you are. Every one of them have bought into it. I was truly astonished that the uh, Willow Creek thing ever took off, but I was more astonished on the Saddleback model. Okay? And how quick it changed churches across this country. You know... uh, Saddleback is the one who came up with the quote-unquote casual worship. Why? We want you to be comfortable. 
Guess what happens? You know what? I could care less what you dress in. I really could. But what happens is I need to make my message casual to you. And now what you did is you have taken the sower and you have taken the seed and you have made them conform to the soil. Guess what? That model is not biblical. If it's not biblical, do you know what the theological term is for it? Does anybody want to guess? It's heretical. It's a lie. It is making people comfortable in their sins so when they go to hell, they can all go, what? Well, but I thought you wanted me to be casual. I thought you wanted me to worry about me. And that's what the model. Listen, brothers and sisters, this text right here, very clearly, it is not technique. It is the condition of the soil. And only God deals with the soil. You and I have no ability. Who is adequate? Paul has already told us. Who's adequate? You're going to remove the veil? Really? Really? You're going to do it by your cleverness? Your craftiness? Oh, craftiness. That always is a positive thing, isn't it? Only God can plow and clean the heart. All we do is give truth. Now, you need to understand this because I'm talk, this letter, 2 Corinthians, is dealing with ministry. And when it comes to ministry, you're responsible to being a servant who rightly divides truth. So that when you sow seed, you're sowing truth. You see that? That's awesome. So all I have to do is know what the Bible says. Well, now there's an interesting concept. We give truth. And you know what? To use the vernacular of today, when we bring truth, it brings up consumer resistance. It does. Well, I don't want to buy that. What if I give you two for one? I'll give you two truths for the price of one truth. Okay, that's like my favorite bumper sticker. Yes, God loves you, but I'm his favorite. Two truths for one. The Spirit of God convicts the conscience of man by truth. We present the truth and we move people to right standing before God. But let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. It's a battle. It's a battle. We've already looked at it. He says they're veiled. They're veiled. They can't see. If God doesn't remove the veil, those who draw to Christ, they ain't going to see it. They're not going to see it. That's why we present truth. Just give them truth. 
You know, people come and ask me. I had a couple, it's been a number of years ago, they came to me and they said uh, they believed that God had drawn them together to be married. And uh, they, they wanted me to do the, in the wedding. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and they want to meet with me. And, 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 and they want, you know, to be godly. And they know that God's doing this. So I said, all right, we'll meet. They show up to my office. And uh, they come in and they're all, you know, Song of Solomon looking. <laughs> Wait till Ecclesiastes hit. Um, um, anyway, they come in and, and uh, they, they said that, you know, they had been praying that God would bring them a godly husband, a godly wife, and God has done it. And they've been raised in the church. And, and, and they're, you know, my dad is a deacon and, and we've got this going for us and we've got this. And, you know, we both did missionary trips and we're wonderful and God has just blessed us. And, and I said, have you had sex? <laughs> And after they both picked their jaws up off the floor, <laughs> you knew by looking at their eyes what the answer was. And I explained to them, if you're in disobedience to God on that issue, you are clueless to what he's doing. All right. Needless to say, <laughs> I never did their wedding. Listen, if God does not shine, look at verse 6 of, of 4 again. For God who said, for God who said, light shall shine out of the darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The lights only come on by one thing. God. God does it. And if God doesn't shine in the heart, guess what? Forget it. I don't care if you do. We're having a faith day at the ballpark. I still don't turn the lights on. Well, Tim Tebow is playing for... I still don't turn the lights on. I don't care what you do, but we're going to have some Christian rock music. And don't turn the lights on. Well, if, 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 if we have like sound effects and it don't turn the lights on. You bring truth to bear to man's conscience. And the Holy Spirit takes that truth and convicts. And if he doesn't crush their heart, the lights ain't on. They're in the darkness. They have a veil on. God doesn't do the work. Who can see? I will remind you, you, some of you have been here through 1st and 2nd Corinthians. In 1st Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14, it says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. You got that? Natural man lives by his senses, which has no spiritual bearing to you. Can't do anything. Can't do anything. Listen, I read a quote by uh, Dr. Zoyadis, and I always thought this was pretty good. 
just because, quote, just because blind can't see the sun doesn't doesn't mean it's not bright. Unquote. Now, think about it. That's what Paul is saying here. They have a veil over it. They can't see it. The Now, I want to show you this. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Okay, but look what he says next. For the God of this world has blinded the minds of who? Unbelieving. I literally heard some pastors debating the difference between unbelieving and perishing. And I I said, what? Have you not read? Tell me the difference between perishing and unbelieving in that text. Same coin, brothers and sisters. There is no difference. They are perishing because they are unbelieving. They are unbelieving because they are perishing. You know, it's like a guy told me, he says, do you believe in the rapture of the church? And I said, yes, I do. And he says, well, what verse do you, you know, how do you base your rapture of the church and, and all the rest of that? And I said, Romans 8, 1. And he said, Romans 8, 1. He says, it's not Ezekiel or Revelation or Thessalonica or Olivet Discourse or anything. I said, no, Romans 8, 1. He says, what's Romans 8, 1? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So why would I go through the judgment of the earth? And the guy says, well, you know, there's a difference between condemnation and judgment. <laughs> <laughs> Not if you're in it. <laughs> well, I said, I'm going to even crickets. You got enough brains to tan your own hide. That's an inside joke. But anyway, I, you just sit there and you go, what in the world are you talking about? But the same thing happened. Well, there's a difference between perishing and unbelieving. Really? Why are they riding the same train? <laughs> I don't. I, I don't even know how to... You know, well, logic left the building and now it's out of my league because I can't get into. I I don't know what to do with that anymore, because it is obvious here that he's saying, you know what? It's veiled to those who are perishing. Why? Because they're blind and unbelieving. Faith comes from hearing truth. The perishing unbelieving are veiled. They're on the road to hell and they're smiling about it. That's because they're veiled. Listen, if they're veiled and they're unbelieving, perishing, you can't educate them into Christ. You can't reason them into Christ. You can't have a ceremony into Christ. If God doesn't turn the light on, they're done. And Well, that sounds Calvinistic. No, it's Pauline. Read it. it, It flusters me. Because every once in a while, God puts these really smart people around me, and I keep thinking, how can you be that dumb and be that smart? They are blind. The reason of blindness, verse 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Look at verse 6. 
For God is the one who has shown in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Listen, that's the path of salvation. That's the path of sanctification. That is spiritual maturity. If God's not working in the heart, I don't care what you do with him. I don't care what you do, whether it is a saved person or a lost person. If God's not moving in that person, you're done. You ain't going to do it. Think about it. How many times do you get frustrated where I've taught this Sunday school class or I've done this conference or I've shared with this person that I love and all. And you get that calf at a new gate look. Oh, I don't want that one. How many times have you watched people sit in the pews or the chairs for years and years and years and nothing happens? They don't do nothing. They don't volunteer for nothing. They don't wave at nothing. They give you a buck on the, in the offering plate and that's all they do. And you keep thinking, well, what more can you do? You've done everything you needed. You've done everything you need. You give them truth and you convict their conscience. And I've had people leave. He says, Terry, I listened to you for five years. And all you do is hurt my feelings every Sunday. I'm going somewhere else. That's my fault? Well, all right. No matter what happens in life, if we focus on the glory of God that is revealed in Christ, then we will learn to look at Christ and see God's glory. See, I want you to understand something about looking into the face of Christ. It's objective. It's not subjective. Okay. What do I mean by that? Objective. This is historical truth. Okay. This isn't a story. Okay. It's not mystical. I I remember a lady. It's been years ago. She used to be in this church. I'm not going to mention her name. I was getting ready to go to Israel. And she says, you know, I've been to Israel three times. I was like, really? She said, yes. She says, it's truly a blessing. She says, and every time that I've been there, the clouds always form over the Sea of Galilee and show me the picture of Jesus. Leave it to me to go to Galilee in a clear sky. (laughs) There wasn't a cloud anywhere. And everybody says, well, what did you say to them? Listen, if somebody told me that they saw a pink elephant in their living room, I'm not really going to talk them out of it. If they're convinced that they saw it, then hallelujah. Is it still there? What are you going to say? If somebody says they've seen something, no, you didn't. Really? But, you know, I saw God in the heavens. Every time I go, I see clouds or... And I'm not one of those, did you see the rabbit in the cloud? No. Rabbits are on the ground. There's a bunch under that bush. But do you see what I'm trying to get at? When I think about looking into the face of God, the glory of God is revealed in Jesus. It's revealed in Scripture. People say, does God talk to you? Every day. Oh, you hear him? Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like Daffy Duck. (laughs) <laughs> so I know it's got to be God. No else but speak from heaven like that. I, you just, no. I read my Bible. God speaks to me. I, I don't shut up to him because he, he surrounds me with a bunch of daffy ducks. But, uh, but you see what I'm trying to get at? Yes, he talks to me. Why did he write it down? My wife has completely lost it. She's done. Daffy duck. I never thought that God would sound like Daffy Duck. 
Well, I was thinking about that black guy, and I couldn't, the guy who played the voice of Darth Vader, James Earl Jones. Uh, he sounds like God. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but my God sounds more like Daffy Duck. Okay? As I look into Scripture, Jesus revealed that's where Christ is. Okay? He's in the Old Testament and He's New Testament, but the New Testament is where I spend most of my time. You know why? That's the fullness. That's the fullness of all that He is. Okay? Please understand, when I'm talking about looking into the face of Christ, I'm not talking about some ecstatic experience. Okay, Matthew 17, 1 through 9, you see the transformation, the Shekinah of, of God, the Shekinah of, of God in Jesus. And you know what's amazing about it? The boys that were up there with him were terrified. And you know what? Some of the greatest words in Holy Scripture. Do not be afraid. I, if you looked at the glory of God head on and all of a sudden, <gasps> and then you hear, do not be afraid. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Whatever you tell me, I'm in. Revelations 19:7. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth, and he shines in all his glory, and John hits the ground, scared to death, and the great words come forth. Do not be afraid. You know, and I know people who run around and they say, Yeah, I saw God. He didn't sound like Daffy Duck, did he? <laughs> but anyway. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? If When you see Him, there's coming a time in each of our lives when our faith will become sight. I guarantee you this one sure promise. You're going to be afraid. Okay? Because I know what's... My mind's already got it figured out. I hope this turns out all right. And I look forward to hearing, do not be afraid. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you don't sound like Daffy Duck. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Peter, recalling this, the Mount of the Transfiguration, says that that was really cool. This is paraphrased. You can look up it yourself. This is really awesome. But he says, you know what? We have the word of prophecy more sure. You get that? I saw the glory of God in the person of Christ on a Mount of Transfiguration. And not only that, I had Elijah and Moses with him. But the word of the Lord is more sure than that. The word of Christ. They call it the word of Christ. They call it the word of God. They call it the word of the Lord. Paul says, let it dwell in you richly. Paul was in an awful place, and yet even in the awful place that he was in, I mean, you could just read it. We are afflicted in every way. We are not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed, always carrying around in the body the dying of Christ, of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our body. We who live constantly are being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh, so death works in us, but life in you. Why? How can you go through that and say, oh, this is great in ministry? Because he keeps focused on the person of Christ. See, he understands the privilege. And yet that privilege is limited. There are those who are out there, guess what? Who are veiled. They can't see it. They don't have that privilege. 
Stand on truth as Paul, even when you're attacked. It's not mystical. It's not some secret knowledge. It's de- Paul says, I'm determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And yet there are those with egos that this does not appeal to them. There's not enough mysteries. There's not enough secret things. I want a higher level. You know what? This guy, Paul, he just offends everybody. You know, he's, he's just not sensitive to his audience. He's not understanding his demographic studies. You, you need to overcome the resistance. You need to let them understand. Anyone can. Today it's taught. Anyone can and will respond to the gospel if it's presented correctly. It's not true. It's not true. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For there is the power of God into salvation, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. To those who are perishing, the unbelieving, it's foolishness. To those who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know what? I do account for the audience. I really do. Whether it's at cowboy camp and you see all the ranchers, whether it's here in Castle Rock, whether it's in Moscow, whether it's in St. Petersburg, whether it's in Oriel. I'm supposed to go to uh, Rangu, Burma in a couple of years. Uh, wherever it is, I always account for the guy, for the uh Audience, always, always. You know why? A sinner is a sinner. And I just look at him and say, you know, in this mess, there's sinners. And somewhere in this mess, there's saints. So I give the same truth. So, see, I'm so compassionate. They had already tried to kill Paul. They'd thrown him out of town because the conscience of man, natural man, resists the truth. And when they resist the truth, when they come against you, when they plot to kill you, when they stone you and leave you dead, beat you with rods, uh, say wicked things about you, you can look at it and say, you know what? Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing in the case, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. See, sinful man can't understand. Can't comprehend it. It's not the message. It's not the messenger. It's them. They're headed for doom. And apart from divine intervention, they're going to hell. I don't care. It is foolishness to the natural man. To understand the spiritual things. You look at that in 1 Corinthians. He cannot know them because he is spiritually dead. You know what? He's been spiritually dead since Adam. Soon as he partook of that fruit, guess what? He was spiritually dead, instantaneous. And you know what? Every child from Adam on is spiritually dead. My little granddaughter was out um, last weekend and she's spiritually dead. And everybody goes, are you saying that about you? I'm telling you, I seen her squeal. She's spiritually dead. Okay? 
veiled truth. And that veil, there ain't no ceremony, manipulation, cleverness can't open that veil. But you know what is amazing about that? You look at that and you say, okay, they're veiled. And he's comparing it to Moses. We're still dealing with the Moses. That thing, hang over and try to look through it. You can't see through it. But it also says he's blinded. I mean, Paul's like, you know, it's bad enough I'm veiled, but now I'm blinded. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Take somebody's blind and put a blanket over their head. See if you can see anything through this. Only God can remove the veil. Only God can turn the light on. Listen, if they're veiled and they're blinded, I will tell you honestly, it's beyond the preacher's methods. John 3 says, Jesus says, there's a love for sin. This is the judgment. Life has come into the world. Men love darkness and in dark and they are perishing. The adulterers of the word, they mock the simple, clear preaching of the word of God. The power of depravity in man is more powerful than any preacher. They've been blinded. They're not just veiled. They're blind too. And you're going to do this by a method, by a cleverness, by a system. Really? Veiled and blind. And you're going to make them see how. Listen, I'm going to close with this, but I want you to think, because I want to pick this up next week on the God of this world. And what does that mean? Okay. And what does it mean? Their minds are blinded. Okay. Well, I'll look at that next week. But I want you to think about something. These two terms that the Apostle Paul has given us. Okay. They're veiled. Okay. That means their view is blocked externally. But they're blinded. That means their view is blocked internally. Even if I figure out a cute way to get the blanket off of them, guess what? They still can't see. They are perishing and they are unbelieving. The reason they are perishing is that they are unbelieving. They are unbelieving because they are perishing. They love their sin. They hate light. Did you know that? You know, if you have an unbelieving spouse, child, co-worker, do you understand the reason that they're there is because they're perishing because they have a greater passion for their sin than they do for the light of the Lord Jesus Christ and the glory of God. And I I really, I want to end with this because there's no neutral here. There's no moral neutral. You are either of your father, the devil, or of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? I mean, it's easy for you and I to look at somebody and say, well, they're only acting like their their nature. But the truth of the matter is, they have a greater passion for darkness and sin than they do for the light and righteousness. And let me tell you something. There ain't a person in this room has the ability to change that. So I give truth. I give truth. When you minister, which you should be, every one of you, 
You should give truth and then let the Holy Spirit deal with it. The God of this world has blinded the minds of those who are veiled, of the unbelieving. And you know what? It is so obvious. It's just like I asked you. Do you know anybody around you that is lost? They're kind of easy to spot, aren't they? You, you ever notice lost people? You don't have to train them to be selfish. You ever notice that? You don't, you don't have to train them to be self-centered or self-focused. Why? That's their sinful nature. And they love the darkness. And they don't like the light. And when you bring the light in on them, guess what happens? Lost people, you know what? Can they be servants? Absolutely. Absolutely. I watched Home Depot deliver all the building materials for this house. I doubt it was the glory of the Lord that they were pressing for. I'm betting you somewhere in there is a tax receipt. Just an idea. Why? The people of the world, the lost people, those who are veiled and perishing, they will treat you nice as long as. And they'll smile at you. No, I'm just doing it because I care. <laughs> right. Okay. But I only care that much. <laughs> okay. So when you're dealing with this, understand, as you go forth with the gospel, as you go forth with truth of the new covenant, there are people who are going to reject it. Their, their conscience is going to resist truth. And the reason is they love the darkness. They love their sin more than the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's so obvious. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time of, of fellowship and in worship and spirit and in truth. Father, uh, you've carried us this far. Father, may we be servants of the Most High God, ministers of the new covenant. Father, we are not adequate. Our adequacy is from you and you alone. Father, you, as we minister, even this day, Father's Day, Father, if we have someone who is lost, let us bring forth truth. Father, rejoice as your spirit moves on the conscience of natural man to make him alive to spiritual truth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done. To your glory and praise. Amen.